Coming to you from the greatest city in the world, this is the number one showbiz podcast. It's Talk for Two. Here's your host, Matt Bailey. Thank you, Gary, and welcome back, everybody. Two weeks away feels like forever, and yet in quarantine, March was yesterday. My next guest is another celebrity chef, this time of the YouTube variety. J. Kenji Lopez-Alt is a California-based chef, restaurateur, and New York Times best-selling cookbook author and columnist. His restaurant, Worst Hall, has been doing tremendous good for food service workers in the San Mateo community at large. And while doing all of that and being a full-time dad, Lopez Alt manages to shoot a guerrilla-style cooking show from his home. Kenji's cooking show took off during the hardest months of the COVID-19 pandemic lockdown, and he continues to showcase his home cooking prowess to this day. He's been cited as an inspiration to many chefs of this digital age, including Andrew Ray of Binging with Babish fame. And if that weren't enough, Kenji's first children's book, Every Night is Pizza Night, comes out this Tuesday, September 1st, and it's really, really cute. It's a wonderful read, and I think every night has been pizza night for a lot of you, myself included. I'll, I'll cop to that. It was a real honor to talk to somebody who has led his career with his heart first. Here now to tell us why his home kitchen is so damn tiny, our interview with J. Kenji Lopez-Alt. J. Kenji Lopez-Alt, welcome to Talk for Two. How are you today, chef? I'm doing good. I'm doing good. How are you doing? I am great. Thank you so much for being here. Man, you have become, if you weren't before, you have become quite the YouTube star over this pandemic with your Kenji <laughs> cooking show. And I love it. You know, it's weird because I, I love cooking shows. They're great. Yours is so great, so informative, make everything look easy. And your voice and the way you talk about it and how fast you are with your arm movements, it's so soothing. What prompted you to start <laughs> uh, start doing a cooking show from uh, from your home during this quarantine? Well, actually, it's I, I the quarantine was just co it was just coincidental that the that um, they happened at the same time, um, which no doubt helped the audience. Um, you know, one one of the few good things to come out of it for me, at least, was that I'm sure it's helped my audience, um, despite how bad everything has been with the pandemic. But um, I mean, the reason I started is because um, you know I've, I've had a YouTube channel for like seven or eight years, um, and maybe five or six years ago, I was making myself. I think a bowl of noodles or something um, late at night after I just finished working. Um, and I had a GoPro sitting on my desk because I had just come back from a vacation where I was using it to like shoot underwater pictures. Um, and I was like, oh, I wonder what it would look like if I put a GoPro on my head while I'm cooking something. Um, and so I did. And um, and then, I, you know, and I did that sort of on and off, like maybe four or five times a year over the next few years. Um, and then just this past March, I was looking um, at my YouTube channel. And because uh, I noticed I was getting like a bunch of notifications from it, it's like people were commenting and I looked at it and it's like there was one video there where all I did was make a grilled cheese sandwich with a GoPro on my forehead that had like four million views, like something crazy. Um, so that that was when I was like, oh, I guess like that thing that I tried doing a while back, people are actually watching it. Maybe I should try it more. Um, and uh, so... Yeah, so then for like the next few weeks, I just decided every time I cook something at home and my family's not in the room, uh, I'm going to record it. And um, and I did. And that's what I've been doing since then now. It turns out people do want to watch it. 
Um, so, you know, it wasn't like a brain, it wasn't a crazy brainstorming thing. It wasn't like I have this idea. It was just like, I just did it because all that stuff was in front of me. And then when I saw people liked it, I kept doing it. You know, and the important thing for me is that, um, it's very low effort for me. Like, you know, it's like, I have, I have a daughter, I have a restaurant, I'm working on some books. Mm-hmm. I have, I just have a lot of stuff going on. And like, you know, for the last couple of years, my goal in life has been to, to, you know, de-stress it and to simplify it. Um, and so, you know, I've, I've, I've spent years talking with producers, um, both, um, you know, both at TV networks and production companies and, um, and online networks, um, about, you know, doing some kind of cooking show. Um, and it's always just been something that I just never really had the time for, you know, like, or, or, or the inclination to put in, um, the amount of effort that I thought it would take to do a really good job at it. Um, and this is just something that's easy. There's like very low expectations. Like I basically, I make it for myself, you know, it's like mm-hmm. if, if, and, and that's one, you know, that's, that's what I think is one of the things that's great about YouTube, um, or, you know, online, online media in general. It's like, you don't, you know, I, I, I come from a background long ago. I worked in print publication, right? Or although actually now I have a, I have a column in the New York times now too. But, um, when I worked at Cook's Illustrated magazine, it's like, they have a subscriber base and they have a, they have like a, a voice for the magazine. And so when you're writing, you have to write like them and you have to write for those subscribers, you know? Um, whereas online, you don't have to write for anyone. You don't have to work for anyone. It's like, I'm, I'm doing this stuff for myself. Um, and if people like it, you know, great, come watch it. And if you don't like it, then there's like a million other YouTube cooks out there who are probably doing something that you like more than what I'm doing. So that that's what I, that's what I find really sort of liberating about, well, online, <laughs> online media in general. It's like, you can work for yourself. Um, and if people enjoy it, then great. But you don't have to, um, you know, you don't have to have plans of world domination and you don't have to worry too much about whether you're making everybody happy or not because your audience um, is, you know, shifts and your audience can change and your audience can decide for themselves whether they want to watch what you're putting out there or not. Well, your format is so transfixing, like I was saying, with the GoPro and everything so fast paced and you, you're done before you know it. And another skill that you have that, like, I try, I'm making something and my mom's trying to talk to me while I'm making something in the kitchen. And I'm like, don't talk mm. to me. I'm going to burn the butter. You know, <laughs> meanwhile, meanwhile, you're like talking a mile a minute as you do in all of this. And that is such a skill. How did you learn to sort of walk and chew gum in the kitchen at the same time? <laughs> um, <laughs> I mean, you know, the, 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 the cooking part, it, it's, it's because right. I've been cooking for a long time. You of know, course. I've, been, I've been in the industry for 20 years. And so especially like when you're working in a restaurant and you're cooking like 10 dishes at a time, you sort of become second nature to pay attention to what's going on around you. And, and, you know, first of all, on my show, I do sometimes burn the butter, right? It's like, I I frequently make mistakes and that, and I, and that's sort of, I think part of what, you know, one of the things I had to tell myself at the beginning is like, I'm not, I'm not going to, if I make a mistake like that, I just naturally make, I'm not going to cut it out. I'm just going to explain why I made that mistake and what I'm going to do to fix it. Cause people make mistakes at home all the time. Um, even professionals, right? So mm-hmm. I do make mistakes. Um, you know, as far as the talking, that's a skill that I got from practicing. You know, basically after my first book, uh, The Food Lab, came out, um, and I was going on a book tour, I, you know, I had a major fear of public speaking. Um, you know, I, I I grew up playing music, so like violin and uh, mainly violin, and so with music, I can get in front of a crowd and play and not have any problems. Um, but Public speaking, I get, I got, I get super nervous. Um, I still do. I'm, I'm not great at public speaking. I mean, 
I, I still get nervous at public speaking, but I've gotten much, you know, just by doing it a lot. And it's like anything, you know, you just do it a lot and then you get better and better at it. Mm-hmm. Um, and so being able to talk about what I'm cooking is something that I sort of picked up when I was doing live demos and when I was on a book tour and teaching classes and doing demos. Um, but, you know, it's also like a lot of that becomes second nature because, I, well, just because I've been cooking for so long and because I've been studying sort of technique and food science for so long, um, you know, I, I it's it's in my head all the time. So it's relatively easy for me to just bring it out when it needs to come out. Um, but, you know, again, it's like with the with the YouTube channel, I think the real key for me has always been. I, I just I'm just doing it the way I want to do it. And it's like I'm telling the jokes I want to tell. I'm explaining things I want to explain. Um, as long as I remember that, like, I'm, I'm not working for anyone and I don't have any strict goals here. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so then then, then it be, then it becomes rel- it's easy to be relaxed about it. Um, you know, and, and, and for that by that by that same token, it's like in my videos, I don't worry too much if I you know, it's like if, if I was doing a more produced video, which I have done in the past, then I have to be very careful and efficient with my word choice. And, I, I, you know, I'm like, these are all the bullet points I have to hit before I get through this video. Whereas with these, it's like the much more casual approach. It's like I can I can say what comes to me. And if I miss something, well, that's all right. Like I'm producing three of these a week. I'll get I'll get to it in a future video at some point, you know. Right. So I, I, I just basically for the reason I sound relaxed on them is because I am and I just don't worry too much about what the end product is going to be. Well, that's great. The the thing, the reason I'm so glad that people are finding you now, not that they hadn't before, because you are such a very <clears throat> successful chef, even before all of this YouTube uh, blew up during the pandemic. Your restaurants, you're doing something mm-hmm. really, really special and really important for uh, your workers and with the food program that you've had that's allowed people mm-hmm. to still patronize your restaurant. I want you to talk about that in your own words and what you've been doing to help restaurant workers during this tough time. Yeah, well, I mean, you know, when when the shelter in place orders came here in San Mateo, we actually, you know, we actually shut down the restaurant um, a couple days before um, the the county mandated it, um, mainly because people were starting to feel unsafe, um, and we, you know, and it, it just it just seemed like it wasn't right to put workers' health at risk um, just just to keep the restaurant open, um, and so basically, like as soon as we closed down. Um, I started, I sort of went into, I don't know, I don't know what you call it. Like I went into this headspace where it's just like, all right, there's these problems that are going on in the world. Um, there's a couple things I know I'm good at. One is cooking. Um, and another is sort of organizing. And so my immediately go, my immediate goal was what all this food that we have in the restaurant that we had ordered, you know, like hundreds of pounds of food. Um, now we don't have anyone to serve it to. What can we do with that? Um, and, uh, you know, and that's when I started thinking, all right, well, like, hospital workers and community centers, there, there's going to be people who are out of jobs. There's going to be people who are working hard that could use free meals. And so at the beginning, it was just me, like for the first week or so, it was just me going in every night by myself, trying to use up all the inventory in the restaurant. Um, and then when I started realizing there are other, you know, there are other chefs who had the same idea. And now there were more people who were sort of organizing bigger programs, um, you know, like World Central Kitchen, Jose Andres's uh, organization, um, uh, that that's when I thought, okay, maybe I should try and get involved with them. So I reached out to Jose Andres. Um, I reached out to my old chef, Ken Oranger, who was um, starting a program in Boston called Off Their Plates. Um, and so through working with them, I got in, t- in touch with sort of a bigger network of um, hospitals and places that needed food donations. Um, and also a, a, a sort of a, a, a regular 
income source for this. So a, a way to pay for all these because at the beginning it was like I was donating my time and then mm-hmm. donating all this all the food that we had in the restaurant. But um, you know, once that started to dwindle, um, you know, we, we raised we raised some money through our own channels. You know, so people could come onto um, the Worst Hall website and they could buy meal boxes. So basically, like, you could spend ten bucks, which would which is enough to pay uh, for a meal for someone who needs it, um, and it's also enough to pay the worker to produce that meal. Um, and I and I also did it through like book sales. So I um, if you go to my my bookshop.org, um, if you go to bookshop.org slash shop slash Kenji Lopez Alt. Um, you can order any of my books there and um, my whole commission from that site, any sale that goes through that site, um, my commission goes towards um, feeding people in the San Mateo area who need it. Um, <clears throat> so we, you know, we, we come up, came up with a few different revenue streams for that. Um, and so that meant that even while the restaurant was closed to the public, which was for a couple months, um, we were able to at least keep some of our people employed. You know, it wasn't, it wasn't all of our people, but um, but some of them, you know, um, we were able to do that. And then we were also able to produce enough food that if people wanted uh, or needed food, um, you know, all they had to do was come into the restaurant and take it. Like we had meals packed and ready to go, um, which, you know, some people partook of, partook of um, some people didn't. But um, but as a way at least to say, hey, like our workers who are now out of a job, at least we can help make sure that they and their families are fed and, and we can try and keep as many of them employed as possible. Um, now, you know, now we're open again for um, outdoor dining. We worked with the city on getting some of the streets closed in the downtown San Mateo area. So we're open again for outdoor dining. Um, and so, you know, now now we do have a, st- a staff. It's not um, it's not the same staff we used to because, well, for a number of reasons, but, you know, we're, we're serving lower volume of people now than we used to. Um, and more important, more importantly, it used to be, you know, workers would work two to three feet apart on the line, and we can't do that anymore. Um, so our staffing density had to go way down just for safety. Um, but we're, you know, we're now serving the public again, and um, and we actually still have enough uh, money saved up in this account that we um, have set aside for serving the community um, that we're able to continue. We, we produce now and deliver 300 meals a week um, to the Samaritan House in San Mateo, um, and we're going to continue doing that for the sort of indefinite future. Um, yeah, that's, that's sort of it in a nutshell. Well, that's wonderful. Uh, You know, the heroes aren't just only the people in the masks who are taking care of us on the front lines. It's the people who take care of the frontline workers and the people who were really severely displaced by this. So thank you for what you're doing. You're, you are one of the heroes of this pandemic for all of that work. (laughs) I have to say, what was, what's the hardest thing for you as an owner of a restaurant during this time? Is it letting go of staff is it the the tightening yes. of the belt what, what's the hardest thing for you as an owner of a restaurant during all of this it, it, it's letting go of staff um for sure I mean, you know every, everything else it's like you know if the, the the new challenges we face like how how do we you know how do we transition from being a full service restaurant with indoor sit-down dining and a full wait staff and um you know all the frills and bells and whistles that come with all that um like how do we transition from that to what we're doing now which is um a much more streamlined experience that's more sort of fast casual um you know those challenges are sort of operational challenges that are are actually you know i find them actually relatively enjoyable like it's like problem solving you know mm-hmm. um the part that's not enjoyable is the fact that our workforce is now you know if you include front and back of the house it's it's less than half of what it was and that mean, that means that half of the people we used to employ don't have jobs um and you know it, it's 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 it, you know and, and, and the worst part about it is that they, they don't have jobs and because of um you know the, 
the, the problems in the rest of the country and the and the wealth disparity and the and the um, and money and politics and all all these bigger systemic issues. You know, they not only do they not have jobs, but they they, they don't have the safety nets that um, that should be provided for them in a in a country like the U.S. with the wealth that the U.S. has. Like people should not be suffering the way that they are. Um, but there's you know, as an individual business owner, it's like. It's, it's like what what can you do? It's like you know, it's like you, you can't you can't you can't pay people with money that doesn't exist, right? Um, and it, it's it's really tough. It's tough. Because yeah. um, it's probably and, um, is it is it hard on you, even at the staff level that you have to be able to maintain that because in it because at the same time as your staffing may be less, so too is your tur- is your turnover of customers and the ability to have customers in your space. Yeah. So, you know, we, we, through working with the city, we were able to, so we're, we we're able to seat about a hundred people, um, safely, um, which is about, you know, it's a little over half of what we used to be able to do. Um, but very rarely do we have that many people, you know, it used to be like on a Wednesday, Wednesday through Sunday night, um, our restaurant was packed, you know, we would do three or 400 covers. Um, and now we don't do even half of that, um, uh, through, throughout the week, so um, and 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 people who do come spend less than they used to. Yeah. Uh, so so yeah, you know we we're 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 at a place where we're sort of at a very unstable equilibrium. You know, it's like we we're we're taking in enough revenue that we can pay the current staff, mm-hmm. um, but it's not long term sustainable. You know, it's like. Um, eventually we're going to have to pay start paying full rent on the space again it's like all, all these things like our our overhead is not going to go down you know like right. our, our payroll and our and our food costs are going to go down to proportionately to what we're doing now but every, all the other overhead isn't um and so um it's okay for now but it's not going to be sustainable long term no um, no and i know, it, it's like we have a fourteen thousand square foot space that you, you, you know, <laughs> restaurants run on razor thin margins to begin with, and you don't—you definitely don't have enough money in the budget to pay rent on a fourteen thousand square foot like spot of prime real estate that you're literally not able to use. You know? Yeah. No. See, that's why restaurants are so interesting to me during this pandemic because they are, without getting into the politics or even the economics of it, they—they they are the perfect example of the vicious economic cycle of. We can open, but we have to have less people, therefore less staff. But the people are not ordering as much, and we still have all of this space that we're not using. So it's mm-hmm. it's a really, really interesting, interesting thing that we'll have to watch develop. And I just I wish you the best with the restaurants. I want with Worst Hall. I want to make a hard turn here, going from talking about <laughs> the economic uh, struggles during uh, for a restaurant during COVID to talk about your children's book, which is still coming out this September. Let's talk about it. What made you want to write another children's book? Um, I, well, I wanted to write a children's book because because uh, I had a child. Yes, really. <laughs> um, that, that's basically it. I wanted to write a book for my daughter. Um, and you know, oh, I'm lucky enough so that sweet. I have a, I, I had a publisher who was willing to work with me and, you know, I, I, I'm, I'm sure the fact that I had written a successful cookbook with them and they wanted me to write another one with them, um, gave me some amount of, uh, undue influence in, in, in allowing me to, to be able to <laughs> professionally publish this children's book. Um, but it's like, you know, it's like I had the opportunity. Um, so, you know, it's, it's similar to like my YouTube show. It's like the, the, the children's book, I wrote it for my daughter. 
Um, and uh, and if other people like it, then um, then that would be wonderful, you know. Um, uh, but you know, I, I already have a copy of it at home, and and we've been reading it to my daughter, and she requests it, and she loves it. So Aww. I feel like with the with the kids' book, even even though it's not out yet, I feel like I've already accomplished all the goals I wanted to accomplish with the kids' book. And so if it you know if it does well, and if um, if it means that I can write more in the future, um, then then great. Um, but um, yeah, I did it. I did it. I did it for my daughter. You know, it's called Every Night is Pizza Night, and I have a feeling that rings true for a lot of Americans who are staying home right now. Just <laughs> hit Postmates and <laughs> pizza, pizza, pizza. But, you know, <laughs> the other thing I wanted to ask you about your home life and about since you mentioned your daughter and back to the mm -hmm. YouTube series. Now, this, I mean no offense when I ask this, and I actually think it's pretty cool. What I noticed with your YouTube show, and this is me having that weird, curious brain, where mm -hmm. you're in a kitchen that's the size of like my kitchen in my house. You know, you mm -hmm. have a normal sized kitchen. You have it crammed full with a lot of stuff, but right. you have a normal sized kitchen. Normally you see these celebrity chefs, successful restaurateurs, they have massive, monstrous like food network kitchens in their right, house. Right, right, right. I'm just curious about that. If that was a conscious choice with your house to say, I'm going to have a small domestic kitchen. It's not going to be this industrial <laughs> thing. I'm curious because well, it, it seems intentional for somebody at your well, success you know what's level funny to, is I, to have that. <laughs> I grew up I grew up in New York. And, yeah. And, you know, and, and I lived in New York up until five years ago. Um, and so I'm I'm actually used to working in a galley kitchen, you know, like a, a place where there's literally not room for two people to work side by side. Right. Um, so I'm and, and, and it's similar in a restaurant. It's like, you know, restaurants are all designed for efficiency. So you don't have to walk around very much. Um, so I'm, I'm kind of used to that whole idea of like standing in one place and be able be able to just like turn around and reach everything I need. So when we got this house with this kitchen, I actually thought it was, it's I, I still think it's a little too big for me. <laughs> um because I because I got to walk back and forth from the counter to the stove, so um, I would say I, it didn't even occur to me that um, uh, to think about that. You know, and when and when we got when I started shooting the the show here, um, I mean the only reason I the only reason I shoot the show here is because I'm I'm at home and 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 if you know if if, if the show started becoming work, then I just probably wouldn't do it because I got another I have enough stress with other job related stuff to begin with. Oh, um, sure, so. Yeah. You know, it never it never occurred to me to think, oh, I should get a studio kitchen to record a show in or anything like that. Um, it's just like I'm used to cooking in my kitchen. I've got all my stuff here. Uh, I know where things are, even though, as people point out on the show, I and I and, and I didn't notice it. Like I'm pick, I'm learning about habits I have in the kitchen that I did not know I had before I started shooting the show because people pointing them point them out. But turns out like almost every time I go to a drawer to get something I pull open the wrong drawer first and then close it and open then open the right door afterwards yeah um, and people pointed that out and I realized oh I do do that don't I well <laughs> which I don't know why but <laughs> you have enough stuff from like an industrial sized kitchen in your small kitchen I'm like that is the clown car of kitchens because he keeps pulling something <laughs> new out every episode it's just great <laughs> so you know what would you if you had to describe your style what your mm -hmm. influences are, what your style, the J. Kenji Lopez alt style of cooking, what your inspirations are, what would you say? Um, you know, my my influences are all sort of the old stand and stir, old, old, old school cooking shows, you know, like I grew up watching like Galloping Gourmet and Frugal Gourmet and Jacques Pan and Julia Child. Mm -hmm. um, and then, you know, and then. I was also into sort of Food Network 1.0 style show, you know, like like um, 
like Emerald and yep. and um, Molto Mario and um, and then also all the PBS shows like uh, you know Ming Ming Sai and um, and uh, you know all, all the shows where people started cooking start to finish um, and and the show was basically just shot live. Sometimes there were guests, sometimes there's a studio audience, but it's like cooks who um, you know cooks who had been in the industry a long time knew what they were doing and could talk about it and explain explain why they were doing things. So you know for me it's like my my book and my column, um, the Food Lab, or and now my column on, on the New York Times are um, are very precise um, and and they're very much about like saying, you know, here's this dish that um, you uh, you might be familiar with, but here we're gonna I'm gonna show you, um, you know, I'm, I'm gonna talk about the science behind it and the technique behind it and why it's important to understand those things. Sure. Um, and you know, and and the impression I what I tried to give across in my book, which to varying degrees of success. But what I tried to give across is that once you understand science and technique, um, then you sort of free yourself from recipes. You know, it, it allows you to take your cooking where you want it to go. Um, and so that's what I would say my style of cooking at home is. It's like I understand the technique and the science behind it because I've spent a long time studying it, um, which means that I can open up my fridge and find random things um, and know sort of how to get the most out of them. You know? mm-hmm. And that's that's what I sort of want to teach people to do that when you're when you're cooking um it's okay to follow recipes but it's also okay not to follow recipes um and the more you understand science and technique the more easy it becomes to deviate from recipes um, without being afraid that you're going to ruin everything um and you know so so that that's one of the reasons why also on my show like i i make a very conscious decision at the beginning like even if i screw up i'm not going to start over i'm not going to cut it out like if i if i screw up in the middle of a recipe i'm just going to keep going and in the middle of in the middle of cooking something like I burn the butter, whatever it is, I'm going to keep going because learning how to be okay with mistakes and learning how to, um, you know, pick yourself back up and 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 still serve a good meal, um, I think is just as important as being able to as being you know perfect. And of course, nobody is nobody's perfect. Nobody's perfect, and that's the way it is at home. <laughs> that's the way it is at home. You melt the cheese and it goes over the side of the pan or a noodle splashes yeah. out when you pour it in you know nothing's perfect yeah or, or your or your kid you know it's like I, I did an episode where i was cooking some chicken yep. and it's like my daughter was in the other room watching a show or something and the internet went out and so she calls for me and i have to leave for 10 minutes to go fix some stuff for her and it's like the chicken burned in the meantime but that i mean that happens to everybody anybody with kids is going to burn something because their kid needs help at some point right yeah exactly um, exactly yeah. You know, my last question for you, and I was saving this for last because you may not realize that you are, and I sound like such a fanboy, but I'm talking about other people on the internet now. I mean, all okay. of a sudden, back in March, you know, I find your show, and then your name's everywhere. Your your Babish, absolutely. I think Babish has a bust of you on a on a pedestal <laughs> somewhere. Andrew has a, a you know, and uh, I think Adam Ragusia has mentioned you. So many YouTube right, cooks. Right, right are drawing inspiration from you. How does it feel to not only be doing so much good for your community, but to know that you are influential in your own world of chefs and cooks in, in this modern <laughs> age? Um, you know, it feels, it feels great. You know, like um, when my, you know, when my book came out um, and um, did well and people started taught, you know, people, people who I've always respected is it's like, what's crazy to me is that like, there's these people who I grew up watching and, and, and cooks who I've deeply admired who I can like now send them an email, you know, it's like, it's like, 
It's like I can email Ming Tsai and he and he responds <laughs> wow. to me. Yeah. And it's like, it's like, holy cow. It's like, this is a guy that was so influential to me growing up. And so, so yeah, so it feels great knowing that like now there are, and you know, and now I get, I get messages from um, people in high school or people in, people in college who are, who are thinking about going into cooking or, or who just want to get better at cooking at home um, or want to get better at cooking in their dorm room, et cetera. Um, and um, say, and, and talk about how much I've helped them do that. And, you know, so that to me is, I mean, that's, that's the best feeling, you know, it's like the, the reason I went into restaurants in the first place, um, the hospitality industry, is because um, I enjoyed the feedback. You know, I enjoyed watching, you know, cook. I, I, enjoy, I enjoyed the idea that, like, here I can take these ingredients, do something to them, put them on a plate, and then there's someone in the dining room over there who um, is getting pleasure out of it, you know, and, and, um, and the idea of just making people happy in that sense. And then, you know, and then when I got into writing recipes, it was sort of the same thing. It's like now, now it's not just like the... 40 or 100 customers a night at the restaurant that I can make happy now it's like you know there's thousands of people who can who are going to be cooking one of my recipes to feed their families um, and who are going to be um, enjoying their night a little bit more because they 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 cook something delicious and so um, yeah I mean that's that's really the the main reason why I do anything Um, it's also why when I you know when I get emails or see messages from especially from young young people high school kids and college kids who are Ask me questions like I try very hard to respond to every single one of those, um, because you know there are so many people who had a great impact on my life growing up, and I, um, and um, it's nice to know that I you know I can hopefully do something similar for for other people. Well, you, Jay Kenji Lopez Alt, a great, amazing chef with an even more amazing heart. Thank you so much. This was such <laughs> a pleasure. You. Thank you. Oh, thank you for having me. Thank you so much, Kenji. It was a really, really, really wonderful time talking to you. It was such a joy. I wish you continued success with all of your missions. That is it for us today. Remember, you can always check out talkfor2.com for more. Subscribe to the podcast by searching Talk for Two in iTunes, Stichter, and wherever you get your podcasts. Find the show on Facebook and Twitter at Talk for Two and on Insta at Talk for Two Pod. Reach out to me directly at talkfor2cast, T-A-L-K-F-O-R-T-W-O-C-A-S-T at gmail.com. Signing off, I'm Matt Bailey, reminding everyone out there to keep talking for two. You can hear more show business interviews with the stars at talkfor2.com.